Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Bleed Lows Podcast. This week's podcast is presented by our partners at BetOnline. BetOnline continues to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments for the NBA playoffs, including Major League Baseball fights and NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all sports, all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and the fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. Head to the website, which is betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code, which is BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, which is the network that we're on, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's that simple. Bet Online, where the game starts. Huge thanks to Bet Online for presenting this week's episode of the podcast. This week, uh, stopping by the Carnasada is a cult legend for the Los Angeles Dodgers, Joe Bimel. Joe Bimel stops by. We talk, uh, you know, kind of how his his rise to to fame, if you will, happened when he was with the organization. Have some great Manny Ramirez stories, Jeff Kent stories that I'm actually. So stoked that he told us there were great stories. We even talked a little bit of pro wrestling, blew Alicia's mind a little bit, and uh, and so much more. So without further ado, here is Joe Bimel. This is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your Los Angeles Dodgers. And now, it's time for the Bleed Los Podcast with your hosts Alonso and Juan. And Alicia Del Valle. With the baby face gimmick in the sky, Roger. And stopping by the Carnesada, uh, once the Los Angeles Dodger, uh, always the Los Angeles Dodgers kind of the approach, right? But uh, former specialist Bimel stopping by the Carnesada today. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. We uh we we're stoked to have you on because we're gonna talk not only uh, all things baseball, but uh, we we also we we low key like well not Alicia but Juan <laughs> Roger and myself low key like pro wrestling. So we may oh, nice. we may go off the the beaten path a little bit and discuss some gimmicks. But uh but in the interim, <laughs> uh the first question I had for you is how does it feel like to wake up every day to be the dude that owned Barry Bonds? <laughs> uh you know it's funny i did a a podcast recently with canon sports and they brought that up and you know i hadn't really thought about it in a while but um it's it's always an honor to be known as that guy i mean uh he was probably the greatest player that's ever played the game um i know there's some controversy around that but uh I just always enjoyed coming in to face him because I was a pirate fan as a kid, uh, watched him play a lot. And then, you know, being able to go out and try and get him out was kind of surreal for me. And for those of you who don't know, Lonzo, let's give him the numbers. Yeah. Bonds was one for 16 against Bimel. So, so Joe owned him. Yeah. yeah. 100%. 100%. <laughs> I mean, that, if there's something that belongs on a coffee mug, or as my wife says, my proverbial coffee mug collection, that's something that belongs on a mug. I own Barry Bonds. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I mean, listen, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I know some of our listeners are old enough to have seen 
Barry Bonds play. I was old enough to see him play, and I know there's some people that are way too young to just have not understood the lore that was Barry Bonds as well, which is also insane to say. That's making me feel really old. But um, but for for those people that don't understand, how intimidating was that dude when he came up to to the box, even if you knew that you owned him? How intimidating was that for you as a pitcher? Well, it was just crazy because he was so big. He just looked like a comic book, like superhero. I mean, he just filled up the box. He muscles are popping out from everywhere. And I mean, you know that he has, you know, at the time uh, between 500 and 700 home runs. So, you know, at any point he can take you deep. And I think for myself, it was kind of like, well, I mean, at any point he can take me deep. So he's done it to a million people. I might as well just go after him and stay aggressive with him and, and throw him some strikes. I mean, same thing also, that I always bring up. Oh, go no, ahead. I was going to say also, he's, he's basically the reason why my wife wanted to marry me because <laughs> we were, we were in, we were in San Francisco and I came in like a night game or whatever. And come jogging into the to from the bullpen to get him out and I think I strike him out on like three pitches and she's in the stands and then the very next day we had a day game same thing happens I come in I think I strike him out on like three pitches again and I think it was that moment where she's like oh I think I probably need to marry this guy so <laughs> I I credit him with that as well <laughs> thanks Barry yeah <laughs> yeah exactly Hey, Joe, uh, to follow up on Bonds, I, I got to ask you this. I, I know he's already – he's an intimidating dude. He's huge. But the damn body armor that he was allowed to wear, I mean, is that fair? I mean, the guy can literally stand on top of the plate because he's got that elbow guard, so he's not afraid of getting hit. I mean, I, I've always had a problem with Major League Baseball allowing these guys to go up in full body armor, and you, the pitcher – you guys don't have that same advantage. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – I've played with guys and played against guys where they just use that thing to, like, maneuver. If a ball was in, they would just turn, stick their elbow out, you know, get it off the elbow. Um, it is a little ridiculous, you know. I mean, uh, with Major League Baseball kind of taking away the inside part of the plate, if you – throw anywhere near somebody you're getting a warning or getting even suspended for not hitting somebody uh you know it's it makes it a little more difficult to to really control the inner part of the plate and one not only throw strikes in there but you've got to be able to throw balls in there as well you can't like be afraid as a pitcher like oh if i get too close to this guy or hit him uh, i'm gonna get suspended uh so it really gives i mean it wasn't necessarily like that back then um but not being able to i wouldn't say cause fear on the inner half but let people know that you're going to go in there and you might come in a little too far and you might hit them um definitely changes the game and when you're able to just have this huge piece of foam and plastic that just absorbs it on your elbow it, it makes it a little tougher for sure where we're speaking with the pride of St. Mary's, Pennsylvania, Joe Bimel. Uh, Joe, you got to uh, help me. I'm a California kid. So St. Mary's, where is that in Pennsylvania? Is it closer to Pittsburgh or closer to Philly? Well, it's right 
dead smack in the middle of nowhere. It's a small <laughs> town. So I was actually, I was born in St. Mary's and went to St. Mary's High School, but I was actually from a smaller town right next to it called Kersey. Um, and Kersey, when I was growing up, had about 800 people. And I think they have, yeah, I think they have a thousand now. So they're like really growing and you know getting huge. But uh, yeah, it's kind of like North Central Pennsylvania. It's about two and a half hours, like northeast of Pittsburgh. And then it's like about an hour and a half north of State College where Penn State is. So it's just real small area, real rural. I always have a hard time saying that word. Uh, but yeah, it's it's my hometown. I still have a house there and I'm actually going to be heading back there soon. So I'm excited about it. So the, the Pirates were the team to follow then as, as a kid. You mentioned you were a Pirates fan. Is it because the Phillies suck or you just hated Michael Jack Schmidt when you were growing up? <laughs> well, it, uh, Pittsburgh was a little closer. So the area where I'm from, everybody's Pirate fans, Steeler fans, Penguin fans. Um, that side of the state where Philadelphia is, is just like a totally different place. People are super mean, just awful human beings. <laughs> and, you know, where I'm from, they're they're a little nicer. Wow. So, I so I, just to get off, before I hand it over to Alicia, back to Bonds. I mean, you grew up watching, I'm assuming, the Bobby Bonillas, the Andy Vance, like the, that Bonds team. So I have a couple of questions. But the first one is Jim Leland and the cigarette. Was that more endearing to you to see a manager smoking a cigarette in the dugout? Only because it was Jim Leland. He, he could do no wrong. He was, always spoke his mind, was kind of a hard-nosed type of guy. Uh, and I got to know him a little bit over the years um, from playing and just him being a scout and uh, being in different organizations as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was always funny to see him. Just cameras catch him, like, back in the back, like, just sitting there <laughs> ripping on a heater. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, I think that's kind of – that's Pittsburgh. That's the way the people are there. They're hard-nosed, blue-collar, and they like that kind of stuff. And for people who haven't seen this, you can look this up on YouTube. There's a famous video from spring training where Jim Leland is just ripping into Barry Bonds. Does I, I mean, I, I don't – I could never picture that happening now in today's baseball, a manager going after a player the way Leland went after Bonds. Was that something that was fairly common even back in your playing days? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I played for Lloyd McClendon in Pittsburgh, and he he would fight anybody. Like, <laughs> I never saw him actually fight somebody, but he would, like, it didn't matter if you were a star player. And granted, Pittsburgh back in, you know, early 2000s, we didn't have a whole lot of star players. Uh, yeah, like Jason Kendall, Brian Giles, those guys. But um he was not afraid like if you were a star player or had a lot of big league time and come in after bp and would sit in the locker room and not be out there shagging or doing what you're supposed to be he would come in and just rip you apart throw stuff kick chairs um i don't know if that really happens anymore i haven't really been on a team um my last few years where you know any any of that stuff happened and uh, but it was definitely, definitely a different time. And I think managers had a little more control over the clubhouse. 
Last one before I hand it over to Alicia. Since you own Barry Bonds, uh, do you ever go up to him and go, hey, how does it feel to not be able to throw out Sid Bream from second base? <laughs> uh, he has never talked to me once. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> he, I, He's just uh, not a very approachable guy. I think that's that's why he's having a lot of issues now with getting in the Hall of Fame and obviously the whole performance-enhancing drug thing. But, you know, I think there are guys in the Hall of Fame who have used that stuff. So I'm of the belief if you're going to keep one out, you got to keep them all out. Um, so I don't, I don't see why he's not in there. But I think that was the issue was he was just, you know, not a nice person. He didn't treat people very well and he didn't treat the media very well. And now it's, you know, coming back to kind of bite him a little bit. Go ahead, Alicia. Yeah, I'm not going to go there with Barry Bonds. <laughs> I kind of totally agree with you. you. You can't pick and choose, right? So I like that answer very much. Thank you for your candor. Um, I wanted to talk about, okay, you brought up the 2000s when you were active, when you were a Dodger. Thank you very much. You had your own bobblehead. Very cool. That's a, a very small number. So I think that's definitely worth mentioning and reminding everybody. In fact, I think Babyface has your bobblehead, our producer Babyface, which is so cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, right? What about modern pitchers now? I mean, I love hearing the stories of how managers were different, the style of managing was different, the style of playing ball was different, right? And yeah. you hear about dead balls and humidors in the ballpark. Are there any pitchers nowadays in the show that you were like, that you are like, I want to watch that pitcher or that's must-see TV, like someone that's engaged you that you really want to check out? Yeah, I think now uh, just the fact how high velocity is for pitchers is insane. I mean, everybody throws 97 plus. Um, when I came up, you know, I was, I would top out at maybe 94, 95. And I was considered like a hard pitcher. I was, I threw pretty hard for back then in the early two thousands. Now I think the average fastball is, you know, close to 94 miles an hour. Um, so I, I really like that. I like that they're hard throwers. I mean, I know I feel like pitching quality has suffered and all the teams are just grabbing anybody who throws hard, putting them in the big leagues um, and the command suffering a little bit, a lot more walks, but with that, a lot more strikeouts. Um, but I'd love watching the guys like the relievers that can just come in and throw gas and throw the ball by people because it's something one, something I've never been able to throw a hundred miles an hour. So, uh, and I've tried everything I can to do it, but, uh, just have never got there. And, you know, to be able to see multiple pitchers every single day come in and throw, and now guys are they're not just touching a hundred, they're like living at a hundred and they're throwing 101, 102. There's a college kid in Tennessee who's throwing like 105 regularly. And I like that just because that's, that's really fast and not a lot of people can do it. So uh, those are kind of the guys that I, that I enjoy watching. And then some of the starters like Max Scherzer is always fun to watch. Um, and even Kershaw is fun to watch, you know, even now that he's not throwing 97, like he was uh, when he came up and I played with him, but those guys that are, 
you know, been around a while and they're still on that superstar level as a starting pitcher. They're always entertaining. Any thoughts on Otani? I mean, there's a lot of people who are throwing out like, our kids, you know, not only do they have to play travel ball all year long, but now they've got a bat and pitch. Uh, yeah. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> well, what he's doing is insane. I mean, <laughs> it's like, I don't think people understand how hard that is because, you know, you're in Little League and everybody pitches, everybody plays in the field and hits or whatever. But to do that at the big league level is just absolutely insane. I, I can't even... I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he he lasts the whole season. Um, you know, I know just being a reliever, um, you know, in, in 2007, I, I pitched in 83 games that year with the Dodgers, and that was a lot of freaking games as a, just, you know, as a reliever. And I'm coming in and getting maybe one guy out sometimes. And this dude's, like, playing every single day and starting um, going – six seven eight innings it's just it's just mind-boggling it the way he's able to do that he's just a human that you know there there aren't many like him and i don't know if there will be many like him you know after this so like he's the uh he's special you don't think it's gonna yes. be warm okay <laughs> yeah i mean i don't think he's you know i i feel like babe ruth was like that from what i've been told and what i've read um, but then he just transitioned into being just a hitter and Otani's still doing both and doing both very well. So I, you know, there haven't been really anybody before him and I don't know, uh, I'm, it might be a trend that people want to do, but it's way harder than, than I think anybody realizes. It's more like good luck, right? Like try it, try it, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Give yourself more of a chance to play and provide value. That's, that's always good, but, um, and, you know, hopefully it'll get some kids dreaming that they'll, they believe they'll be able to do it. And maybe you will see more people be able to do it. But, um, most of me thinks that it's just, it's going to be, he's going to be one of the very few. Well, you, you've had a pretty successful career and a long career. Um, you've played with a lot of teams and with a lot of players, would you subscribe to so there are some people who go after players who went vegan or use diet to take care of their bodies on in all sports right we're seeing it with lebron and tom brady mm -hmm. and recently there was this little kind of a not a real beef like a west coast east coast beef but i mean they were going after mookie Betts, saying oh he's vegan and that's why he you know took a had a slow start and even one of the Angels uh, pitchers went after him saying, we've got Babe Ruth and you've got the vegan starter. So uh, <laughs> do you subscribe to any of that? Or are you old school or do you always follow the trends? How do you do it yourself? Oh, I have. I do a lot of stuff. I mean, I'm still doing stuff. I, um, you know, I have a daily routine that I do every single day where as soon as I wake up, I do um, some breath work where it's like Wim Hof breathing, take like 30 deep breaths, exhale on the last one, and then you hold it for as long as you can. You, once you feel the need to breathe, you breathe in, hold that for 15 seconds, and then you do another round. And then I do red light therapy. I have like these big panels of like red lights and near infrared lights. 
Uh, that's good for a lot of different things, a lot of different uh, health things. And then I get in like a 35 degree ice bath every single morning for like anywhere from like six to 10 minutes. Um, but I do this stuff like every single day and it's just become part of my routine. And I'm, I've always tried to find ways to help myself continue to play, keep the inflammation down, things like that. And diet has definitely been a part of that. I've never, I think I, I did like this cleanse type thing one, like about five or 10 years, five to 10 years ago. And uh, for two weeks I had to eat vegan and it was literally the worst two weeks of my life. So <laughs> the vegan, the vegan stuff is, I'm, I'm not into that. I need like, uh, I need some red meat and uh, all the vitamins and iron and stuff like that, that, that provides. So uh, I, I know I've played with some people who went vegan and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's just, I think guys are just ribbon, um, uh, getting on them a little bit just it's like oh you're vegan you're soft but uh, you know there's there's a lot of stuff to that and I, I you know anything tom brady does i don't know if tom brady's full vegan or not i haven't really followed up but if he's doing something then you 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 might want to consider it <laughs> <laughs> i know the guys are dying to get to uh the wrestling so i'm gonna Bow out for a second. All right, perfect. <laughs> I will well, learn. <laughs> well, before we get to the gimmick, I, w I wanted to ask you about a different gimmick. Uh, in 08, you made there. There was a, a series of you know fan made YouTube videos about you. That yeah. that's kind of how the bobblehead thing kind of came about. And you're you're kind of looked at like a cult figure, if you will, uh, uh, with the Dodgers. And there, you know, obviously, there's a handful of those. You know, Mariachi, Mariachi Joe now, Joe Kelly, yeah. uh, cult figure, beloved in LA, will never have to buy a burrito again in town. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and there's Kike Hernandez, same thing, will never have to buy the taco in town again. And and I feel like you're kind of in in that that echelon. When, when all that stuff started happening, obviously the the internet was still kind of in its infancy around that time too. So it's completely different than where we are now with social media and all that stuff. But for you. You know, you don't strike me as the type of cat that's super loud about what I'm doing. You're not even loud about the fact that you own Barry Bonds, for goodness sakes. I mean, that's just where we're at. So for you, how, how were you able to kind of process that since it wasn't spring training and to kind of still be looked at as a cult figure and you're also a part of Dodger lore? Well, those, those years were just super fun for me. Uh, the way that whole thing came about was, you know, some guy made a video called the legend of Joe Bimel and uh, put it on YouTube. And one of my buddies at the time, he was like, Hey, have you seen this video? And I was like, no. So he like sent it to me and I checked it out and I was just laughing. It's like ridiculous. You know, a guy's like in his basement and he's like, this is why I like Joe Bimel and saying all this stuff. And, uh, uh, my buddy goes, hey, you need to come over tonight and we're going to make a video. We're going to make The Legend of Joe Bimel 2 and you're going to begin it. And I was like, all right. So he set up some stuff in his basement just uh, and he's on there like just ranting and raving. And then at the end, I come out like clapping my hands. And uh, and at the time there was the the blog or whatever it was, was, was uh, Dodger Blues, I think it was called. There was a blog at the time and all the guys on that uh, freaking just loved it. So everybody got wind of it. 
they watched like both videos and then the other guy who made the first video started making like a ton of videos about me like all the time and then somebody you know somebody made the legend of joe bimel three and then four and then somebody made a music video and like all this stuff so it was it was definitely a fun time i i really enjoyed it and um when they had the fan bobblehead uh i think all those guys from that blog started voting and voting over and over and over and it was at the time where they didn't put a limit on how many votes you could get so people were just like voting thousands of times and i remember the pr guy with the dodgers came up to me and said you're like winning the fan voted bobblehead like it's so crazy he's like you're winning by like thousands of votes and I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, but we're not going to we're not going to give it to you. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. He's like, we're not going to give it to you because it's just, you know, you're not somebody we would give a bobblehead to. And then uh, I think the guys on the blog got wind of that, started emailing him and like telling him, you better give him a bobblehead because I think they wanted to give it to Brad Penny at the time. So then they gave one to Brad Penny, but they gave me one as well. And it was just, it was a fun experience, but it was one of those things like I never expected to ever have a bobblehead, you know, I'm a left-handed reliever and uh, usually we don't, you know, most people don't even know you're on the team, let alone give you a bobblehead. So uh, it was fun. My parents got to fly out for it and uh, just one of those experiences that you'll never forget. No, and, and you know what? I mean, I've, I'm a bobblehead collector. Juan is not because he thinks they're toys, but that's a, that's a story for another I'm day. a grown-ass man, Joe. I don't need toys. I'm a grown-ass man. The irony, though, is as as we kind of go from one gimmick to another, uh, word, a little bird has told us that you are uh, a, a giant Randy Macho Man Savage connoisseur, if you will, ironically as well, by the way, as, as Juan is a grown-ass man, is wearing a Randy Macho Man shirt. Yes. All right, Joe, nice. Joe, before you go in there, I, I it's just a theory that we have. We don't know. So, But I want to I show you a couple of things. First of all, I am wearing the Macho Man, you know, from his, his in my opinion, his, his peak days. But I want to show you something, and then you tell us whether our theory is right. Babyface, can you cue it up for me, please? Mm, yeah, Macho Man Randy Savage, Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion, was in a state of shock when Ricky the Dragon Steamboat came back here. But this time, in front of the largest audience in the world, not only will I embarrass you, not only will I put you down with the one, two, three count, but I'm going to put you out of wrestling for good. Yeah, Dragon, I am the Lord and Master of the Ring, and you're going to find that out. One athlete to another, right now. You can't get with me, no. History beckons the macho man, yeah. Hey, that was one take, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know if you're into cosplay, but I would like to believe you are a macho man, Randy Savage. Tell us the story behind that. Uh, by the way, you get a, a, like a 10 out of 10. I mean, you got you nailed it. Not only the costume, but the voice, the hand gestures, the tape on the fingers. Joe, yeah. are you a Macho well, Man Randy Savage fan? Well, for one, I I, I take Halloween very seriously. So, um, <laughs> you know, when I commit to a to a costume for Halloween, I I go all in. Um, but I I was always a wrestling fan, always a Macho Man fan. And when I decided that's what I was going to be for Halloween that year, I was like, well, I got to get everything. I gotta, I've got to 
you know, do the, I did the voice the entire night. Like we were, <laughs> we were in uh, Hermosa Beach, like walking around, and you know, as you can imagine, as if when you're dressed up like the Macho Man, everybody's like, "Oh yeah!" They're all like walking around, like so. You you gotta like, you know, engage them and talk like the Macho Man. So I did it like the entire night. Uh, my voice was completely shot like the next morning, but it was worth it. It was it was a lot of fun and. I uh, I always remember that like promo um, he did for I think it was one of the WrestleManias maybe WrestleMania three or something like that and uh, <laughs> and so I I just learned it you know I watched it a couple times and kind of memorized it and then my wife like got the the phone and I just did it one take I was like oh wow I did that I didn't even screw it up. We're, we're joining us on the show one take joe bimel here uh that's right i i thought you were going to do maybe the cream of the crop uh uh interview that he did is classic but you have to like i'm a golden era wwf guy yeah i said wwf to me it's always going to be wwf but you you got to settle an argument between alonzo and i poor alicia right now is just we're speaking you know I'm japanese learning. i'm learning <laughs> But I think the greatest WrestleMania of all time is WrestleMania three, uh, just because Savage and Steamboat alone to me makes that that WrestleMania the best. Yeah. What is your uh, the best WrestleMania in your in your in your eyes? Uh, I would say that as well. I mean, that was really good. And then you had Hogan and Andre the Giant, um, obviously as the main event. But I I'm also I was also a big stone cold fan as well like i really like stone cold so i can't remember if it was i don't remember when he beat Shawn michaels if that was 17 maybe it was or, uh 14 i believe 14 yeah uh, i really liked that one too just because i was such a huge fan and just uh you know just him coming into the ring all the time and stunning people i was like this is the greatest thing ever and one of my favorite uh, Raw episodes was when Mankind beat The Rock for the title because Stone Cold comes out, glass shatters, he walks out, crushes everybody with a chair, puts Mankind on, he wins. And I remember uh, I was at my house. I was living in St. Mary's at the time. And uh, my wife and my kids, I think they were in bed. And I'm just downstairs, like, yeah, like trying not to like scream. <laughs> I was just like silent screaming, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Joe, I, uh, you have to answer this for me just because I know I have some listener. We have some listeners that are fans of the pukester. And for me, I just can't stand the guy. I only just because, I mean, for him to never drop a match, the savage to me is just a, a perfect microcosm of who he was in the business. And that's yeah. why I always say Ric Flair was better than Hogan because Flair understood that, hey, if you lose every once in a while, there's an element of suspense. But yeah. when the guy drops an elbow on your throat and you get up like nothing happened, I, I, I think it's BS. But I, just for our listeners, can you just tell everyone how horrible the pukester is and how <laughs> he couldn't even hold Savage's jockstrap in the golden era? Yeah, I mean, I, I, as a kid, I liked him um, just because I didn't know any better. I was just a little <laughs> guy. Uh, but then once I got older, I mean, honestly, he did nothing that was 
uh, he cut good promos, I guess, and had like the, <laughs> you know, the vitamins and saying your prayers <laughs> and all that stuff. But if you watch like his wrestling technique, it just wasn't very good. He didn't do anything. And like, you're going to drop a leg on someone that puts them out for like the whole match. Like, come on. You well, know, it's like with Stone Cold, right? That, like, you take a pile driver and you <laughs> kick out, but you have the big leg, just freaking, you're done. So, uh, once I got a little older, I wasn't as big of a fan um, when I, you know, kind of knew wrestling wasn't real. And, uh, <laughs> well, it is real, but I mean... Break, breaking news, everyone. <laughs> it's staged, obviously. They know you, they know who's going to win. We won't say it's not real, because those guys freaking get their butts kicked and... Uh, you know, it's hard to don't say that. Rest in peace to, to Roddy Piper. What's that? <laughs> don't don't say that. Rest in peace to Roddy Piper. I mean, yeah. I remember when Bill Maher made that mistake, and and Piper went after him. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, but even like you were saying, like Stone Cold, bruises. Stone Cold didn't really do anything crazy, and yet I feel like he was way better than anything that Hulk Hogan did. And he, and he himself has said, I was a limited wrestler. I didn't do anything yeah. crazy. You know, you know, kind of his, his set list for lack of a better term. Like, you know what he's going to do. He did it again at this last WrestleMania and still gets a way, in my opinion, a way louder pop than Hogan ever will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he, he's kind of similar where he doesn't do anything. Like you said, like he's not flying off the ropes or doing flips or anything like that. But I mean, his, finishing move is phenomenal like i just to this day i i would just love to be able to just give everyone stunner <laughs> uh, and then he drinks beer you know he drinks beer and slams the cans and i think his gimmick was a little more um impressive and that's why he was you know for me that's why i liked him more i just loved everything uh that he did and all the promos he was really good at that so you know with with wrestling uh, that's one of the beautiful things is you can maybe not be the most talented wrestler or the most mobile guy or flying around, but uh, if you can talk and you can come up with something like he did, uh, you can have a lot of success in that business. I will say, did, I, I wanted to know, did you walk around doing I Am the Tower of Power promo the, the, for Halloween? Because <laughs> that's one of the greatest promos ever, and I really hope that people you just said that to people, and people were like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I did not do that one. I also got the uh, the people would be yelling, like, snap into a Slim Jim. I'm like, I'm not that macho man. <laughs> <laughs> do you not know anything? Like, I, you don't see me with the, you know... The, the tassels the stuff's called yeah the tassels and stuff <laughs> and like the hat and all that i'm the, the other macho man I, i'm not the slim jim macho man <laughs> that's when you know he's a real fan because he distinguishes the difference there and yeah. for those of you who don't know what we're talking about he's the tower of power to sweet to be sour oh. so we're, we're gonna go ahead and uh put alicia out of her misery and just end the wrestling talk right there but i just want all our listeners to know that joe agrees that savage is the greatest wrestler alicia go ahead and real quick before we throw to alicia for the record wrestlemania 10 is the best of all time no battle alicia go ahead 
<laughs> this is I'm writing everything down. I'm I'm gonna have to go find these matches and compare and learn and and honestly speaking with Joe and you guys hearing this, I feel like I missed my calling. I should have been a wrestler. We're <laughs> gonna do it too, right? Are there any yep. uh, female wrestling uh, wrestlers that you will at least tolerate? Do you, do you have any that you're a fan of, or did, was that just way past your time? <laughs> and I'm talking all no. three. Of you. <laughs> well, even back then, there was uh, there weren't many female wrestlers back right. in that era, but there was like Wendy Richter. Yeah, was her name. She was yeah. always probably the champ, and uh, I think she would always wrestle like the fabulous Moolah. <laughs> but they were like the only. They were the only two. And then there was like Glow Wrestling. I remember yeah. that. Oh yeah, the yeah, gorgeous yeah, yeah. ladies of wrestling. Yeah. And um, didn't Jeannie Bus have something to do with that? I'm not sure. I, I think I, she I, did. They, they yeah. did like a Netflix series. Um, uh, I did. I watched part of the first season. I haven't watched the whole thing yet, though. But well, um, I appreciate that. I just yeah. now I'm too old. But <laughs> <laughs> had I watched, you never know. We could be having yeah. a totally different conversation. That's right. <laughs> Go ahead, you guys. Don't let me stop. I'm enjoying all of this, and I'm learning it. And I do love that you take Halloween seriously. It's my favorite holiday. I love Halloween. Um. Guys, one Alonso, have you ever dressed up as a wrestler? If I did, it, it, I didn't go full out like Joe. I mean that <laughs> that costume. I'm telling you, the tights. I mean the hey, that robe was that custom made for you, Joe, or how did you find that robe? Because that robe is, was solid. Uh, um, I, I found it on some website, maybe a wrestling website. I had I found like the boots and stuff like that all on like a wrestling website. I think the robe might have been made by somebody on like uh, the website Etsy or something like yeah. that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So nice. I that think that were as well. That I dressed robe. up twice as I dressed up as Laparka, full Laparka garb. Wow, Laparka! <laughs> you did a Laparka reference yeah. right there. Did the did the dance and everything all day? But I was a kid. I was like maybe like. 10, 11 years old. Yeah, and right. uh, and you're then, like 22. I wish. Because <laughs> um, then, it, I mean, I'd rather do that than the, some of the dumb costumes I've done as an adult. Um, or, and the, the other time I dressed up as a uh, the corporate rock when uh, when he was wearing the like the Versace silk shirts and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I wore like a bunch of gold, like fake rings and like the fake, you know, the glasses, did the eyebrow thing all day. That was, that was a good time. Uh, probably. I can't really as much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had a, I've, I've been in a, uh, a couple Joe Kelly tussles, so I don't think my eyebrows do what they used to anymore. But, uh, but yeah, no, I was, and and I tried to dress as Stone Cold once. This this is why I brought it up. But I'm not bald. I have thick native hair, and that was a lost cause. But yeah. uh, but I did go around saying uh, Jesus Christ and son of a bitch all day at school that day, <laughs> and I got in trouble for that. <laughs> Well, well, I mean, this is a Dodger-centric podcast, so we, we have to talk about Joe's time with the Dodgers. And in particular, Joe, that 2008 season that you had, I mean, you had an ERA of 2.02. I, I mean, you, you just killed it that year. There's a, there's a couple of things I want to talk about that season. But I, first of all, I want to start off because I see that you have your luscious hair uh, up in a bun right now. But yeah. when Joe Torrey was managing the Dodgers, he had that rule that you had to cut your hair. I, yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, 
So it was kind of a weird situation because he didn't really have the rule uh, to start like spring training or anything. And then a bunch of guys in the media were always on him like, hey, are you going to make Bimal cut his hair? Because uh, everyone with the Yankees had to cut their hair. And then he literally came and made me cut my hair. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this isn't the Yankees, though. Uh, and they don't, you know, it didn't have to be like super short or anything, but he, I guess he just didn't want it as long as it was, which was fine. I didn't really care. Um, but then we traded for Manny Ramirez that year and he shows up with dreads all the way to the middle of his back and he didn't have to cut his. So I was like, you know what? I'm not cutting my hair anymore. I'm <laughs> if he doesn't have to cut his, I'm not cutting mine. Tell <laughs> So you you just brought up okay how crazy was that Manny Wood trade I mean for him to go on the tear yeah of course we found out later on what might have helped him to go on that tear but yeah. really what did he do when he came to this team when he came into that locker room I know he's an eccentric personality but how was he with you guys in the locker room Oh uh, he was great I mean he was one he was on his best behavior uh I know he had some issues before that. I don't, uh, when he was in Boston, I, I think he had a couple uh, run-ins with some people or something like that. But when he came to us, I mean, one, he was great in the clubhouse. Um, pretty sure he didn't know my name the whole year. My <laughs> what did he call you? What did he call you? He just called me Lefty. <laughs> you have no idea what my name is, do you? <laughs> like, but... Uh, for one, he was, he was, um, he was great too. He was just a good clubhouse guy. And what people don't realize is he worked so hard. He tried to act like he didn't, I don't know why, like he would never tell anybody that he was like working out. He would just, he wanted to be known as somebody who just didn't do anything and was really good. I don't understand that, but, uh, he would show up super early to the field. He'd be the first one there taking BP. Uh, in the cages by himself, hitting off the tee, uh, working out in the weight room. He would even like go to different like uh, gyms and work out before games just so people wouldn't see him work out in the clubhouse. Uh, but he really like worked, worked his butt off. And, you know, that, that uh, stretch that he had when he got traded over was just totally insane. I mean, he was, that was the greatest I've ever seen any baseball player for, you know, that amount of time where he just, I mean, he carried our team into the playoffs that year and uh, it was just super fun to watch. Yeah, I wanted so, to ask, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, no, well, go ahead. The, the one other thing is when we did go, uh, one of my favorite uh, baseball moments in the big leagues was, when we were in the playoffs, um, we came home, beat the Cubs at their place, and then came home uh, in the NLDS. And when they announced his name at Dodger Stadium, you know, like all the regular players were already on the field, and, and then they do the starting lineups, and I'm standing there. And when they announced Manny, it was, you know, everybody's cheering for everyone. But then when they announced him, it was like loud cheers, and then it, was the guy super loud and then it was just like on the field you just heard this like like that's what it sounded like it was so loud and it felt like the whole stadium was like gonna crumble on you uh and it just gave me the goosebumps and that's to this day is one of my favorite baseball experiences in the big leagues 
I wanted to ask you because that clubhouse also wasn't. They didn't just have Manny Ramirez. It had obviously you. They had the likes of uh, uh, Greg Maddox was there. Uh, yeah. Who I've heard is a great clubhouse guy, and I yeah. I've heard some incredible stories about that dude. Uh, obviously, Kershaw made his debut that year, uh, so he was there. But as far as like the clubhouse dynamic, I mean, you guys, you know, obviously this current you know stretch that the Dodgers are on they've had superstars but that clubhouse had superstars too and I feel like the vibe at, at, at the time was still pretty loose especially with some of those guys that you had like I mentioned like the the Maddoxes of the world and, and the Russell Martins of the world and some of those guys the overall how would you kind of rate that clubhouse out of all the clubhouses that you've been in during your your long career that was fun uh, all those teams were really fun uh, we had a great group of guys you know that's when uh, Russell Martin, Andre Ethier, Matt Kemp, uh, James Loney, Jonathan Broxton, all those guys came up all at once and they were kind of younger guys on the team. So we had like a really good mix of like younger guys, veteran guys. Um, you know, we had Nomar, we had, uh, Jeff Kent, who was just mean as you can even, as he comes off. Uh, I, I'm still to this day, I think that that was a whole act like he was just a super nice guy but to keep his edge he just had to act like a jerk um but i always respected him i always thought he was a good dude um but yeah we had all those guys and it was just a good blend and anytime you're winning like baseball is fun you know and uh with that team it was just an before Manny got there, it was, you know, we had a blast and everybody, uh, we had a good team dynamic. And then once he got there, just kind of added to it because, uh, you know, there, I remember one game I pitched and I came in the clubhouse um, after I was done and Manny's sitting there with like, just basically in his underwear and that's it. And I'm just like, Hey, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, I'm out of the game. And I was like, I don't think you're out of the game. Like you're still in. Like, did somebody say you were out of the game? He's like, no, I always just come out in the inning for like defensive replace or for defensive replacement. I'm like, yeah, but I don't think you're out of the game. <laughs> and then somebody comes running up and they're like, Hey, Hey, what are you doing? You're in the, you're still in the game. And he's like, Oh geez. And then he starts getting dressed again, but no, like, not fast. So he's just like <laughs> taking his time, putting his stuff on. And I'm just sitting there and I'm looking at the TV and like the inning hasn't started because they're waiting for a left fielder. And he's just like, hey, you gotta look. <laughs> <laughs> the inning's about to start. Like, you gotta get out there. So then uh, he's like, oh, geez. So he gets going, his belt's still undone. He's running out to the field. And I remember, because it was a long time, it was like probably five minutes with nobody out there. And he comes like jogging out and the whole crowd just freaking goes crazy. (laughs) Of course they do. Of course. But it was just, you know, he provided fun things like that, where if anybody else did that stuff, they would have been, you know, benched or thrown off the team. And he was, you know, he was just Manny being Manny. So it was was hilarious. (laughs) Joe, Joe Bimel here for a few more minutes. I, I actually have always wondered this about Jeff Kent. So do you really think that was an act? Because he, he was as roughneck as it got. Yeah, I mean, he was like that at the field. I, so here's a story about him is, 
I think it was over the all-star break or it was an off day. Our families like hung out together and we were like on the beach all day, like made a fire at night and like cooked hot dogs and stuff like that. And so the next, next day I go into the field and I walk by him. I'm like, Hey, what's up, man? And literally just spent the whole day before with him. And he just like looked at me and didn't say a word and kept going. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> But that's just how he was at the field. Like he was the nicest guy away from the field and you'd see him like talk to kids or he'd do like a player appearance and he'd just turn on the charm and, you know, really nice guy. But once he was at the field, he just like flipped the switch and wouldn't say anything to anybody. And if he did, it was probably he was cussing at you or something like that. Um, and actually in 2008, I I was like, you know what? I'm going to go the whole season and I'm not going to talk to Jeff Kemp one time. Not one. I'm not going to say a word. See if I can make the whole season and not say anything to him. Cause I know he won't talk to me. So it's not going to be hard on his end. Uh, so I ended up, uh, I made it the whole year. And the only thing, the only time I said anything to him was we were in San Diego. Uh, there was one of those balls where the, second baseman and first baseman both go to it you go over to cover the second baseman gets it makes a long throw so i'm covering first i'm running over and he throws me the ball and i kind of kicked the kick the bag but i just barely touched it and i didn't know if the umpire saw it so i went back and tried to touch it again and because i did that like the umpire called the guy safe and, you know before instant replay or anything like that so i get out of the inning and i come in the dugout and jeff goes he goes, hey, you you got the bag the first time, didn't you? You didn't have to go back and touch it again. And I said, yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing I said to him the whole season. So I was <laughs> – and then he retired after that year, and I, I talked to him a little bit. Um, got his – I think I maybe texted him or emailed him or something. I uh, didn't talk to him on the phone, but just c congratulated him on his career and how much I respected him and stuff like that. But – uh, it was more of a fun thing for me just to like see if I can go a full season without talking to Jeff Ken and I almost made it. But it, it was pretty close. I feel like that shouldn't count because you have no choice but to talk to the infielders on the field. <laughs> Ask that, you a question. <laughs> like that's that's the technicality. I'm I'm I feel like you did not talk to him the entire season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But well, I will yeah, say I'll, that's we'll, impressive. We'll yeah. Cause that's impressive because as you know, when you're in a clubhouse, everyone talks to each other, even in passing. And the fact yeah. that you did not initiate a conversation on road trips or in the club the entire day, props to you, sir. You are, <laughs> you are that, that's an award that in itself right there. Yeah, I can be, I can be super silent. So you wouldn't know it by right now. I'm just talking my head off, but uh, I can also <laughs> just sit there and not say a word and be completely comfortable with that as well. <laughs> Go ahead, Alicia. Well, I know I actually was, I wanted to know what you're doing now. I love all this, uh, the flashback stories, especially Manny in his underwear. Um, but <laughs> what is Joe Bimel doing now? Tell us what you got going on. All right. So 2017, I retired um, from playing. So I played till I was 40. Awesome. And one of, one of my buddies who would catch me in the off season, uh, he, was playing independent baseball and you know I had talked to him about uh, coming up with like a training facility for baseball players because um, 
when I was playing, you know, you got to go to the weight room, you got to go here and then you got to go throw. So you got to go to a field and then, you know, you got to find some place that you can throw off the mound and do all these things. And I was like, what if we just come up with like a facility where we have everything? So we'll program the guys, their full warmups, their uh, workouts, their lifting, their throwing. No, we kind of specialized in like guys who needed to throw harder, get more velocity, things like that. Uh, so we started that in, um, in El Segundo at a, at a place over there. And now, now we're actually, we moved to Torrance. We have our own building and stuff like that. Uh, and it's called, it's called Bimo Lead Athletics right here. Uh, and then we were doing it for a couple of years here in LA and one of the guys who trained with us, uh, his name's Cody Decker. He played a long time in the minor leagues, uh, got a little big league time with the Padres, but he was going to El Paso, Texas, and he wanted to bring our, uh, he was working for a nonprofit there, and he wanted to bring our facility there. So we, about two years ago, I would say we started, maybe a little over two years, we started a facility there as well. So now we have one here in LA, one in El Paso. Um, and we just kind of, I kind of go back and forth from each place and in LA now, but, uh, last year I actually just from like training, cause I never stopped throwing, never stopped working out, but from training in our facilities, I started like throwing harder than I did at any point in my thirties. Um, so I was like 44 last year and I was throwing up to like 95. So I was like 93 to 95 and uh, hadn't thrown that hard in a really long time. So I was just like, oh man, do I have to come back and play again? Like, <laughs> I feel like I kind of do. Like I didn't miss playing. Like it wasn't about that. It wasn't like, man, I have some unfinished business or something like that. You know, I played 20 years professionally. So uh, when I retired, I was kind of done and had didn't, didn't really miss playing. Um, but I came back last year, I signed with the Padres at 44 and they, uh, I went to Arizona for like a couple of weeks. Cause I was like, I don't know if I'm even going to enjoy this. I don't know if I'm going to, uh, like playing, you know, I might just hate it and want to go home. So I went to Arizona for a couple of weeks and like the first day I was there in the clubhouse, I'm like, all right, I like this. This is fun. <laughs> but I fell right back into my regular routine and then got sent to double A for, I think, like two months. And that was kind of crazy because, you know, I'm playing with with kids that are my oldest son's age and like even some that are my daughter's age and she's 20. So I was just like, this is great. Like I can be these kids dad and they're my now they're my teammates. So <laughs> went there for like two months, pitched really well, went to AAA um, and AAA is in El Paso and I was living in El Paso. So it was like, it was perfect and pitched pretty well there and thought I was going to get called up. Um, but the Padres were, had like that epic collapse last year. And I don't know if they wanted a 44 year old to come in and try and be their savior, but um, <laughs> So they, <laughs> it might have looked bad. They might have been like, oh, wow, things are going really bad over there. Like, so uh, didn't get called up, but I still I had a 
I had a blast. It was super fun. It was like one of the most fun seasons I've ever had playing, uh, just simply because I had no pressure on myself. I was able, you know, there was like a couple of games where I give up a homer or something, but I'd come out of the game and be like, oh, wow, that was, that was really fun. You know, and that didn't happen when I was younger. It's like, oh my God, I gave up a homer. That's terrible. Um, but, you know, I didn't have that pressure. And the only, the only thing uh, going into it uh, that I wanted to do was just enjoy it and have fun. And that's what ended up happening. That is so epic. The legend of Joe Bimel. <laughs> that's what you should have named your facility. <laughs> awesome. Well, we can always do a rebrand. <laughs> and there you have it. The, the legend of Joe Bimel. He's, we're going to, we're going to end the show the way we end all of our shows, Joe. But before I do that, I, I just want to point something out. I, I really appreciate your candor and you sharing all these stories. And, and you mentioned how much fun you had last year. I, I think we get caught up in the fact that, I mean, the sport is a business, right? I mean, you guys are all getting paid. You guys, you know, this is your livelihood. But I, I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that it's supposed to be fun, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's a kid's game. So hearing hearing you share those stories of how you guys are in the locker room, it kind of reminds me, it was like, oh, you you guys get to be kids. I mean, how aware are are the players of this in the locker room? I mean, you have guys like Jeff Kim, for lack of a better word, that are red asses, and, and I get it. it. It works for them. That's what they feel they need to be successful. But then there's guys like Manny who are just like, don't seem to have a care in the world. Like, how aware are the players of like, Hey man, let's just have fun. Uh, I'd say some, some definitely are, but not everybody. Uh, I think a lot of guys take it for granted. They, you know, they put a lot of pressure on their, themselves. It's a, you know, it is a business. And if you, it's a business where if you, you're not successful, you don't have a job anymore. You know, I, I played for well 21 years now, but I've also been released seven times. So, uh, you know, it is, if you're not doing the job, they'll find somebody that is. And uh, I think a lot of guys kind of get wrapped up in that. They're trying to get their career started and, um, you know, be known as a good player. So they want to like perform and not realize if you eliminate a lot of that pressure and just go out there and it's easier said than done just to go out and have fun because, you uh, it's baseball at the end of the day it's baseball and it is fun so uh, you just try and enjoy yourself soak in every minute and hopefully for a lot of these guys they figure that out sooner rather than later and uh, you know they're not my age looking back like oh man have regrets that they should have done this should have done that and you know I'm I'm very fortunate and blessed that I don't have any of those regrets I, I enjoyed every single moment that I played and uh, you know, there are obviously tough days and there are days, you know, even when I was playing, I, uh, my last year in LA here, I was living on the beach, which was outstanding, but you know, you go to, you go to the field on like the 4th of July and you're driving by the beach and everybody's on the beach and you're like, oh man, I wish I was over there doing that, but I got to go to the field, you know, <laughs> so there was maybe one or two days out of the year where I was like, oh, I don't feel like going to the field today, but. Uh, so it's like it it is a job, but it's pretty much the most awesome job that you could you could ever have or ever imagine. 
Uh, on, on the Bleed Lows podcast, we're, we're all about the Dodgers. We're all about L.A., but we're primarily also about taco culture. So even though you lived on the beach, we need to know, like, what is your favorite taco and where did you go in L.A. to get that taco? All right. So I am a total hick from Pennsylvania. <laughs> uh, so I like ground beef, hard shell tacos. Oh, no. That's <laughs> uh, my Yo! favorite. I love, I love them. It's, it, and it's one of my favorite foods. But there's a place, uh, there's a couple of them in the South Bay. There's one in uh, there's one in Hermosa Beach, one in Manhattan, and there's one on Torrance Boulevard, I think, in Redondo Beach. It's called El Gringo. So, <laughs> El what, Gringo, yeah, they have what, they have great, hey. great ground beef tacos. Go figure. No judgment here. No. Uh, there's a own. place in Silver Lake that was called Malo. And they had amazing ground beef tacos that they made in like Coca Cola. So I, I feel you. Oh like wow! So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I thought because you said you lived on the beach, you were going to come out with the fish taco. That you were going to be a fish taco guy. <laughs> no, I'm not a fish taco guy. Just yeah. straight ground beef cheese. And it's funny now because I'm in El Paso most of the time and live there, and like their tacos, they don't put anything on them. I just <laughs> it's just meat and like a tortilla, and that's it. And I'm like, what? Where's the cheese? Where's? <laughs> and it's impossible to get a ground beef taco there. So, uh, I'll definitely, since I'm in LA, we'll be going to El Gringo at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, uh, I like, I like how Joe came in with his exceptional slider just out of nowhere, just, just caught you, just caught you broken in the box one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I uh, the the hard shell uh, is. I, I get it. You know, I just, I just had images of Taco Bell and Del Taco, which don't, don't get me wrong, it, it serves its purpose, especially when you're drunk. But I mean. If there's a taco truck, you, you have to try, uh, you know, the, the maize tortilla. It All is, right. uh, I mean, it is, uh, it is a thing. There's many, there's a lot of taco spots around here, Joe, and especially on the east side, but I, I get it. You're in the South Bay. So, yeah. I also like uh, one that I've had in El Paso is the El Pastor. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, those are really good. That's a more acceptable answer, Joe. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. We gave you a chance to redeem yourself. Thank you. No judgment. <laughs> the comeback is always greater than the setback. And yeah. he, he, he was able to, to reset it there. And I, I couldn't be more happy for Joe. Joe, uh, before we set you loose, uh, where can uh, where can the people find you on the socials if they want to uh, follow all things Joe Bimo, especially if there's a promo incoming? Um, well, I have a... Uh... I have an Instagram page that's just, I think it's just my name, Joe Bimel 97 maybe, um, where I do most of my social media on there. I'm I'm pretty old now, so like controlling more than one is super hard. <laughs> doing, just, doing just one, I've been trying to make like a little more content lately. Uh, I actually started a YouTube channel as well recently, so I have a few videos on there, but um, and then our business is Bimole Elite Athletics and Bimole Elite Texas. I think both of those are on Instagram as well. And then we might have like Facebook or Twitter, but I just, I don't even know how to use that stuff. So it's fair. That's uh, fair. Don't go on it. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like 10 years younger than you and I can barely navigate Instagram. Yeah. Like, like I had Alicia give me a tutorial yesterday and even then she kind of looked at me like, bro, you're younger than me. Like what's going on? But that's, I, I feel that I can sympathize with that. 
Yeah. <laughs> Respect. Yes. Uh, Joe Bimel, thank you for stopping by. Uh, fun thing, fun fact about Joe Bimel too. Uh, he is the only Major League Baseball player to ever wear the number ninety-seven, and that uh, that in itself also is another accolade. You ignore Jeff Kent for an entire year, and you're the only <laughs> dude to wear ninety-seven in the show. In my opinion, those are two dubs if there ever is one. Because if they ever retire your number anywhere, you can say you had your number retired. That's right. That's right. I think the one of the Bat Boys in LA always has ninety-seven now. Since I've been <laughs> yeah, as it you know, the, Chico, right? I think it's the legend yeah. of Chico. Is is Chico yeah. That's right. And as you know, they only really give those numbers out to like coaches or to Bat Boys. So the fact that you wanted to rock that, good for you. Like I, yeah. I respect that, uh, Joe Bimel. Go follow him on the socials if, if you find him. Uh, I'm going to go follow him here in a second. Joe, okay. thank you so much for stopping by, man. The stories were incredible, and uh, hopefully we can do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. I had a blast. This is Justin Brule with the Los Angeles Dodgers, and you're listening to the Bleed Blows podcast. Huge thanks to Joe Bimel for stopping by. Great storyteller. Great follow on social media, too. Please go follow him at JoeBimel97 on Instagram, and I believe it's the same for Twitter. Um, so please go give him a follow. Great, great storyteller and, uh, look forward to having him on again. This episode of the Bleed Los podcast was presented by our partners at Bet Online. They continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. Find all of the latest odds, news, sports developments for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, and NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and the fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. Head over to their website, which is betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code, which is Believe, B L E A V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Huge thanks to them for presenting the episode. Huge thanks for you guys, to you guys, for following, subscribing, all that good stuff. The interaction's been great on Twitter, so really appreciate you guys uh, uh, tuning in doing all that. We ask that you continue to do that. Uh, you know, I know I've teased it before, but we're working on some stuff for the All-Star Game that we uh, that, that we hope you guys can be a part of. And more, most importantly, we have a lot more guests coming through. So if you're not subscribed, you're not going to know about those guests. So please subscribe. And uh, follow all of our socials, all that good stuff. And we're doing a live show. Um, pretty much we do it in between every you know series during the week, whether it's Thursday or Wednesday. It is kind of the norm that we go with if they have a day off. Obviously, we'll do it on a day off. But, uh, but midweek, we'll be doing a live show as well. So subscribe, follow, all that stuff so you're in the know about that because you never know who's going to stop by the Carnasada. Last week, it was Edwin Rios. Who knows it'll be who it'll be this week. So keep your eyes out for that. But without further ado, that's the end of the show. Thanks again from your boys Alonso y Juan, the babyface gimmick in the sky, Roger, and of course the uh, the pri- the princess of Los Angeles, as we refer to her jokingly, Alicia Del Valle, who is our road dog. Uh, we appreciate you guys. We'll catch you down the road. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review to the Bleed Lows Podcast. The Bleed Lows Podcast is a Dodgers Beat production.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.